So this is just a quick shout out to let you know that the sound effect can be followed on Instagram at the underscore sound underscore effect with an A uh, on Instagram. Check us out and get instant updates for when new interviews come out and new other stuff too. So follow us, the underscore sound underscore effect on Instagram. Delete all social media. In a world of downloadable and streaming singles, our hope with this podcast is to look a little deeper at what influences musicians and see the impact an album, as opposed to a single, can have on an artist's work. We're your hosts, Dave and Tom, and this is The Sound Effect. Children of the rebel 
loves the guys So today, Dave, we're talking about a classic album, the third studio album by British glam rock band T-Rex, led by the charismatic and influential frontman Mark Bolan. I mean, really, T-Rex is Mark Mark Bolan. The album was released in July 1972, marked a significant point in the band's career, and... um, and it's sort of one of those quintessential glam rock albums by, I think, arguably the quintessential glam rock star. And I know that's a controversial comment. I think uh, I agree with you. The first, no. I'm going to say first glam album. Well, I kind of stole it. I stole it from a friend's brother's room. Still have it, oh. too. No. Still, I, maybe, still, I I took it. Maybe you want, maybe you should return it to that friend's brother. I haven't seen them in a long time, but yeah, I took it and Electric Warrior, and Ooh, I don't oh. and I don't even know why, other than, of course, Electric Warrior had, uh, get it on banger gone, get it on banger gone, right? So and I'm like, Jeepster. and and uh, yeah, but I knew none of that. I was I'm right. like, ooh, this is like, oh, this is the that's the power station version, isn't the original? Oh, so it was like the eighties. Oh yeah. Oh man, this was like yeah, eighty-seven, eighty-eight, and wow. I, I'm like, oh, what's this? T-Rex, get it on. What the hell? And so that was my intro to glam rock and uh, T-Rex, the there you go. T-Rex to see, as they say. 
T-Rex to see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, T- I mean, T-Rex, for me, uh, was one of those bands that I got into, one of those artists I got into at a very young age because I got a 45 given to me by my aunt and uncle who came over, and I think I talked about this cool. in the interview with, with um, and it was like Baby Boomerang. Mm. And, and it was... It was cool. It was cool. And then I kind of became a T-Rex fan through through that. Um, but in the in the midst of my teens, I was a I was a huge Mark Boland fan and I still think to this day probably Electric Warrior is maybe my favorite album cover oh, yeah. uh, of so all cool. time up there up there with Louder Than Love uh, as the like just this killer album cover. Uh, but the album we're talking about today is The Slider. The Slider. With again a pretty iconic album cover. Um, oh yeah, photograph photograph by uh, Ringo Starr. Yeah, that grainy, <laughs> the grainy with the hat, the big bucket yeah. hat. Like, and, I don't love it. Like I prefer the back picture. With his back I, to, to the yeah. <laughs> to the camera. Yeah, exactly. I, I kind of prefer that, but yeah. uh, but I get that it's like it is like you see it and you know exactly what album it is. Absolutely, and and it is an album that has like some of his his most memorable songs metal guru um telegram sam uh the slider um these are iconic t-rex songs and um yeah and establishes him really as this monsterish star of early 70s glam rock yeah i agree and kicked it all off like so many people were influenced by this mm-hmm. yeah I'm going to say T-Rex wasn't, not that they weren't a household name, but they were more of the, yeah, they had the one or two hits in the 70s. And then kind of after his death, that kind of, they kind of faded, right? But the bands mm-hmm. who were into them or the people who were into them at that time went on to do tons of stuff. Uh, most notably, of course, Bowie was heavily influenced by right. by T-Rex and yeah, like it was just there started the Bowie seeing and and being there at the at the start of these trends and just taking them and going off on his own. And yeah, still like he always cited uh, Mark Bolin as a huge influence, even though they well, were I, really peers. Yeah, they really were, right? And I mean, I think you you can count Slade in there too. Oh boy, I mean, yeah. it is really weird how the the glam. The, the glam thing kind of came to America, mm. but it came more in the form of punk, punk. right? Where you had New York like, dolls. Um, New York New dolls. dolls. Yeah. But then in the 80s, like when I first heard the term glam, even though I knew T Rex and I knew David Bowie and I knew Slade, I had first heard glam with poison you know, in terms of poison, yeah. right? And it's <laughs> like now you look back and go, wow. Yeah, they had a look down, but it certainly didn't. None, no one sounded like T Rex to me. It was dangerous. You know, like, it was a it was a dangerous look, right? Like, uh, yeah, and yeah, probably the more American version of it was seemed really. It's it it was scary to someone young, like myself. It was, yeah. uh, you know, and it and it happened. I didn't really notice notice it until after it was over, right? So you go back and you're like, "Ooh, New York Dolls. That's mm-hmm. those guys are weird looking," but. Yeah. Even when you grow up listening to Motley Crue and Poison and they're the ones that are called the glam, you know, yeah. with a harder, more metal edge. It's like they took that look and that feel, even though Mark Bolin really wasn't, he wasn't edgy, that. Like, yeah. 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 <laughs> like, and 
the look he didn't really have it was more he didn't have like makeup like no. even like even like Neither Bowie did. Slade. No. I mean they I mean they did in the fact that there might be a star put on their cheek or something sure. but but it wasn't like you were looking at you know enough's enough or poison or one of these type of bands <laughs> yeah. right like it was but there is that sense of a guy like glam really does stance tend to stay in Britain. And I think yeah. that's maybe one of the reasons why T-Rex doesn't get the same attention or get the same um, uh, focus here in maybe North America <clears throat> yeah. that, that maybe he's due. Um, and you can certainly hear, I think, the influence of his guitar sound in bands that are going to follow. I mean, you can hear it in mid-70s Rod Stewart. I think you can hear it um, in a lot of what the Stones are going to do in those mid 70s years uh even something like start me up has a has a feel to it but other than the guitar chords um uh, it was like people and maybe that's the only thing maybe i could take from that 80s glam thing is the way in which maybe they sang kind of took a little bit from bolin but but he was such an original artist yeah. in many ways. Like, and that's something I think we're going to talk about. We talk about a lot today with, with, with our guest is that, yeah, Mark Bolin is an original in an industry now that it's really hard to be an original. Yeah. I'm going to say too, like the influence, uh, like Def Leppard were huge T-Rex fans. Yeah. Huge right. Fans. And, there was just something because the music, the musicianship was there, like the chords and the grooves he came up yeah. with on the on Slider and Electric Warrior, all fantastic uh, tracks with just these yeah. sick, infectious grooves that just seemed to come out of nowhere and very natural and and uh, I can oh, hear I that can, guitar groove and Baby Boomerang yeah. is like. Yeah. And I can I can hear yeah and I can hear that in early Aerosmith. I yep. can hear that maybe in a little thin Lizzie. Yeah. Right? But then you also hear it in something like uh the London Choir Boys. Uh sure. where from from the early 90s or or even some of the, like the Black Crows, right? Like I think there's that that jammy boogie guitar sound yeah. that they really kind of got down, right? Yeah. Well, and it was weird too, right? Cuz you go from, you know, I love to boogie with with oh yeah that sort of sound and then you go from that to boogie wonderland where where it is like so not what you've associated with boogie right yeah 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 Uh, so uh it yeah i even think that term is is so strangely used right yeah but uh Um, yeah so as we're going to talk with tara today the slider fantastic uh the classic it's just a classic album and of course uh t-rex did get into the rock and roll hall of fame a couple years ago and as the, it the way it's going with the rock hall now it's like these are the bands that maybe they weren't massive they weren't your cream they weren't your zeppelin deep purple whatever but they were the bands that changed things brought new ideas new feel new style to music and everyone else just kind of gravitated to it took a little bit of it and went out and did it their own way
Kara Lightfoot has been bringing her soulful rock to people since her debut self-titled album way back in 2011. Her music has been described as a mix of rock and roll roots and folk, and she has drawn comparisons to everyone from Janis Joplin uh, and Patti Smith to, uh, to, the, to the Alabama Shakes. Her latest album, Healing Power, delivers a delivers a dozen stunning tracks that together represent a career high and as you're going to hear in the interview uh an, an emotional place of peace she is hitting the road over the next two months bringing her stellar rock show to the masses so make sure you get out and support tara lightfoot if you can manage to still find tickets because she always is a uh, is a great draw for people uh we were so happy to be joined this week by tara lightfoot hey how's it going terrific Good. Can we just say what an honor it is to finally, after what yeah. two years of bugging you, to finally get you on the show? So, oh, we I'm are jazzed. excited. Well, we are excited to have you. We are very excited to have you. Let's first off talk a little bit about you, Tara Lightfoot. You uh, are, you know, have sort of done this, been a stalwart of like great Canadian uh, bluesy rock, soulful rock for gosh, now about 12 years. Uh, and a new <laughs> album, Healing Power, out. Um, tell us about it. Uh, well, Healing Power is, I guess, uh, to me, it's the most exciting record I've ever made. And it's the closest to a concept record that I've ever made. Um, the whole thing started five years ago on a mountaintop in Austria when I kind of was so done with touring. And I was on the road for three straight months and I just saw... It, it wasn't the kind of travel that you think it's going to be when mm. you start playing for a living. It was like, wow, this is really difficult. And I haven't talked to my friends and family and I'm jet lagged all the time. And 
not getting enough sleep and like the shows were really good but so everything looked good from the outside but on the inside i i needed something and uh that started my own healing power journey um until i went back there in may and after writing all these songs and figuring out like that's kind of the turning point when when i started kind of coming up with those tunes and uh we took the the album cover um of you know took the album cover photo on that same mountaintop that i visited five years almost to the day before oh wow and that's the record cover so it's kind of just about perseverance like uh you know to be that lone tree on the top of the mountain you got to grow through a lot of different um kind of conditions and so i feel like i've done that for the past five years and it's my my thesis on that so have you come out kind of on the other end now feeling more refreshed about like the kind of you know experience of, of touring an album and putting it out there to the world uh are you feeling now you're in a better place for that totally and i mean you know like this cycle for example uh, my husband is playing with the big star band or whatever the you know the current yeah, what, big star whatever band. whatever big star is right <laughs> yeah 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 but um in, in its current conglomeration whatever right. they're doing so i i was like yeah my record's out but i'm gonna go to spain for two weeks and be band wife i can do that now right you know you can kind of do whatever you want there's no rules and uh so that that kind of thing is more freeing and then i'm going to come back and tour it hard in december between uh december 1st and 16th and that'll mm -hmm. be the the ontario leg of that take your hands off me she said unless you want to
Yeah, I was actually going to say this earlier, but uh, or sorry, later, but since you brought it up, congratulations on your uh, marriage to oh. 90s like rock legend John Hour. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, yeah, uh, who <laughs> I do one day need to apologize him for, for accosting him at a bar in Halifax once, but that's another story altogether. Um, uh, so that's that that is great. Uh, did before you said yes, did you ask him to play Frosting on the Beater for, in its entirety? You know what? I I didn't at uh-huh. that time. Okay. I, I thought about it, but I, instead I was just like, no, I think I'm in. Okay, there matter. you go. All right, okay, all right. <laughs> what I would have asked for. I would have asked for that. Uh, dream right. all day twice, uh, please. Yeah, dream all day, definite door is my favorite. Yeah, no, great. God, what a great band. What a great band. Okay, yeah. enough of us talking about that. Uh, so we're going to talk specifically about one record. Before we get there, though, what other stuff kind of influences the sound that is Terra Lightfoot? Yeah, I mean, uh, well, a big band for me was Big Star. Power mm-hmm. Pop has right. always been in my ethos. Um, there are lots of things that influence me that I have realized on this particular record cycle. It's okay for my influences to have nothing to do with what my music sounds like. <laughs> right? Um, so, like, uh, a major uh, player for me is, like, Chet Baker. I don't sound like Chet Baker, but I love him. Uh, Bonnie Raitt, another woman who plays guitar, who really inspires me. I, I don't know if I sound like Bonnie Raitt in any way, but um, and then some some more current folks like Boy Golden. Uh, oh, wow. I really yeah. love his new song Mountain Road. I love that song. Um, I'm the kind of person who puts on one song and repeats it over and over. <laughs> uh, Jackson Brown, another huge influence for me always uh who else i mean yeah bill evans that's another jazzer makes no sense dorothy ashby great afro harping is another record i could have talked about today right huge record yeah so anyway there's lots lots yeah (laughs) yeah and we love that we actually get that quite often on the show where people will show up and we're like like probably our big flip was this year uh kilometer club ambient musician and he picks hayden and we were like what like so it's always really cool when when someone picks something that's a little maybe (laughs) off-putting as a as as something that would influence them uh and i'm going to admit like i've seen your t-shirt before with t-rex the electric warrior and your Uh version of which is it's top five favorite shirts for me i love that design Because it's my favorite album cover probably of all time. I absolutely think The Electric Warrior is a stunning album cover. But I'll admit, listening uh, to your records over the years, I, I would have never necessarily jumped on T-Rex as a, a as a huge influence. And maybe that's wow. because he is so kind of histronic and over the top. And he has such an... Like, he really does kind of stand alone as a musician. Like, his style... Like there's no one who really kind of sounds like T Rex and kind of has that thing about him. So 
tell us about how do you uh, how does a girl from Hamilton end up becoming the T-Rex uh, a T-Rex fan and picking the slider by T-Rex as a, an influential record how does, yeah. a girl, how does a girl from Hamilton not become a fan of T-Rex? That's right. Come yes, on. that's right. Of T-Rex. He is the voice of Hamilton. <laughs> right? It's so true. Um, actually, Tom Wilson told me once, because I think he saw T-Rex at the X. Wow. Nice. And he actually said the show wasn't that great. But let's not start there. <laughs> <laughs> you said, uh, be quiet. Shut your mouth, Tom Wilson. <laughs> <laughs> Don't ruin the dream. Yeah. Right? Um, uh, so... When I was in high school, I, I remember I went to the black market. I used to skip school and drive to Toronto as much as I could. Um, I hope none of my high school teachers are listening. But uh, <laughs> I remember going to the black market on Queen Street and I picked up this T-shirt and it was uh, the T-Rex Electric Warrior shirt. And my nickname in high school also was T-Rex. My email was T-Rex at Hotmail.com. Do you have tiny um, arms or something? Like tiny arms? Is there what? Like No, what? <laughs> no. Uh, well, I uh... yeah yes exactly um but so I, I bought this t-shirt and i wore the hell out of it i still have it and then obviously i got that was actually electric warrior was my first uh vinyl record that i ever purchased mm. um and i used to play it over and over again i'm one of those one song people i could listen to one song like again and again 30 times and be like this is sweet um <laughs> And it so was bang a, it was bang a gong, right? It had to be. It had to be. Of course it was. Because it was just so easy to drop the needle and, and like party, you know? Yeah. And I I loved that. So I used to blare it out of my apartment windows on uh, James Street North. Uh, but then, you know, so began my love affair with T-Rex. This was the second album that I ever got. Um, and, and this one, I mean, I feel like I always am playing. This is a very deep maybe not that deep of a guitar reference, but uh, I'm always plucking the top two strings, like the E string and the B string mm. while I'm strumming. And I feel like that's a very T-Rex thing. And it's not something that, like it's something that's natural to me. Right. Um, when we actually, we actually covered this record front to back at the Horseshoe nice. during the pandemic. <laughs> oh. um, but while we were doing it, I was like, I didn't really have a lot of time to learn the songs for some reason, even though there was a pandemic. Um, <laughs> And I remember going to the rehearsal with everybody and feeling like unprepared. And then we started playing and it was like, oh no, I got this. It's perfectly natural to me to play just like Mark. Nice. Um, so I think he's been with, you know, he's with me in some ways, you know? Um, and has yeah. that, has that, when you were coming out as an artist, was that feeling there or did you feel like, no, no, I got to put, I got to find my own voice something like T-Rex is so ingrained, did it yeah. find its way out now and then? Or was it like, no, and then one day, to hell with it. I'm a T-Rex fan, and I am i don't mind having that yeah. come out in my, in my own music. You know what's funny? I always would ask Gus Van Gogh. I'd be like, I want it to sound like T-Rex, like the year 1971. <laughs> I'd go on and on, and he'd be like, please stop. Like, stop talking about T-Rex. <laughs> And the records that you hear don't sound like T-Rex at all. But on uh, Healing Power, I think we finally did it uh, with You Don't Get Me Now. Mm. It's track. I think it's track 10. But uh, if you put that on, you'll be like, oh, she's crazy to think that no one's going to notice this. <laughs> Is it full of reverb? Like the very ambient, uh, the roomy sound? 
Yeah, and it's just like like the riff itself, like right. the whole thing, the drum beat, like everything. There's a there's a backing vocal. Um, you don't get me now. Yeah, oh, like there you go. The really silly. I guess that's uh for for a little extra credit. That's um Mark Volman who <laughs> famously sang BGs all over the slider. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, I don't know how deep we're going. How deep no, you, goes, you can go as deep, yeah, as, you like, as, deep as, as, you. as you like. It is, I mean, like you you just popped a word in there that I think is really interesting. Uh, that I, I grew up a, a T-Rex fan. I, I One of the first, the first I had, when I was like four years old, my aunt and uncle came over and they brought a Bay City Rollers album, uh, M, pop music, a 45 and the other mm. 45 was i love to boogie with baby boomerang on side b and uh yeah and it was like uh so i've been a t-rex fan for years but t-rex was always like you would say t-rex like oh i love t-rex and people would go yeah hey, t-rex aren't you a bowie fan like there was almost like this like t-rex is kind of the yeah sure you're a t-rex fan right <laughs> like it was a weird like he is like you use the word silly there he is a the production on T-Rex albums is so big and so grandiose yep. Yep. and the backing vocals of this like it sounds like a choir of like 30 women just screaming in the background and his his way of delivering the lyrics like on on uh Buick McCake uh that the way he's delivering the lyrics of that song it's so I mean, I think it'd be easy to refer to it as cheesy, but like, there's an yeah. element to it. Um, how much of that, like, as a as a musician, do you ever have to kind of pull back and like, yeah, I want it to sound T-Rex, but I got to be careful on where that line <laughs> gets drawn of sounding too much like 1972? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm definitely not as, like, glam mm -hmm. as Mark Bowen, for sure. And he, and he pulled it off. You know, with his little like that kind of yeah. thing, he always yeah. he always was doing that. Um, but I mean, like, okay, let's see, Mystic Lady, baby, Mystic oh. Lady, you do own my night. You put my dogs to fright. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, come on, man, you you really have to believe in yourself to deliver that. And I think that's why it, he was so cool because he, he didn't give a shit. He was like, I'll do I'll do whatever I want. I'll just say yeah, 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 yeah when I'm done. And those are lyrics like, that he wrote down. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right? Yeah, if you yeah. go to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and find those lyrics, you know yeah, yeah, yeah is written there oh, yeah. as, yeah, that's what I'm saying, right? <laughs> and, and, but you you bring up a really good point. I mean, the 70s have that ability to just say, and I've said this about before with like Thin Lizzy, where Phil Lynott gets away with saying things that no one else in the music industry could get away with saying, and you would laugh at, but now nah, you don't laugh at Phil Lynott say you don't laugh at you know you know Mark Boland singing "Girl, I'm just a Jeepster for your love." <laughs> like you <laughs> yeah. know, they're, these cheesy lines he delivers are just gold. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they're yeah. absolute gold. Slider, slider, totally. you're a sexual glider. <laughs> yeah, Boom. exactly. Yeah, I think um, another another record for me and an all time influence is Thin Lizzy. Mm -hmm. Always. Um, but I'm thinking of uh, what is it, jailbreak? When he just goes, oh, me like that, yeah. and you're like, what? yeah, you're saying, come here, okay, you're telling, okay, <laughs> that's fine, cool. And, it's like I direct, get... Sorry, yeah. 
And again, it's that harkening back to the seventies when you like you you listen to you know Rod Stewart album. The amount of times he goes, "Ooh, yeah," like you know these little weird things that they do. And yeah, yeah. T Rex is all over with this. But and, and again, the do you find like do you as such a T Rex fan ever play around with? I really want to throw in, uh ah, <laughs> you know the yeah. weird little T Rex things. Do you do you feel you wanted to do that? And, and did they have to pull you back on this record? First, I feel like that should be a soundbite. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, I'm on it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I think, so Gus and I, the producer and I, have an understanding. This is our third record together. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a sense of safety there with each other. We're like, we'll try anything. You know, we know we can just, like, tear it all down and start again. Like, we, we would just go into the studio, the two of us, and... You know, I'd, I'd play a bed track on guitar, do a vocal. We just add stuff. Like if we if my drummer was in town, we'd call my drummer, come down, lay, lay down some drums. Um, but I think like that that ability of us to just be very casual doing a song a day, uh, Gus would sometimes just be like, okay, give me a little, whoop, give me a little, ah, give me a little, ooh, ooh. you know, and I, I'd do it because I didn't care. And a lot of them got left in on Healing Power. <laughs> so you'll hear a lot of me going, oh. <laughs> yeah. Well, that just, uh, it's like, that just it's tends. Fun. Yeah, exactly. And that's, in the end, that's what T-Rex albums are. They're fun. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I think that's really what he, he wanted. Just, like, come out and have fun. It's a party love. And, yeah. Uh, party love. And, and there is something just, God, you just want to boogie. Like he mm. says, he loves the boogie. And... You can just feel it. It's coming out. And like Tom says, this, the, the production is so big. It just surrounds you. And yeah. it makes you wonder, like, if he had lived, like, into the 80s or something, he probably would have been more oh. producing, I think. I kind of had gone that direction. But uh, do, you yeah. fi- do you find now that you listen to what he did in such a short period, too? Uh, I remember hearing an interview a long time ago with one of his producers and they said, ah, I felt he needed to go out and maybe learn some more chords and stuff like that. But he wouldn't, he wouldn't stop writing and, and creating mm-hmm. and he just had to get it out there. Like, is there ever, yeah. do, like, do you listen to that now and think, oh, if you just given that a bit more time or is it just, is there some spontaneity to that too? I think that, you know, every artist has a tendency to sit inside uh, one comfortable tempo or one comfortable key and kind of stay there. And he definitely did that. He played, let, let's let be uh, very kind because he's amazing and say that he played to his strengths yes. like all the time. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I think I mean, yeah. a, a big piece of this puzzle is Tony Visconti, yeah. who's the yeah. producer. And not, not on this record, but on another T-Rex, I think maybe it was Electric Board, um, they recorded in Europe and then they came back to New York to do the best, the rest of the record, the best, of course, Freudian slip. Yeah. Um, but uh, t- this is at a time when it, there was no like digital mixing or mastering oh. or anything like that. And I think Tony, there's a story somewhere where Tony talks about like bringing the tapes for six of the songs back to New York and like keeping them and being like, oh God, this is going to be a great record, but we still have six more songs to write and or create. And they recorded the rest in New York, and somehow he mixed it all to sound like it was made in the exact same place. Right. Mm. Um, so Tony was definitely Mark's secret weapon. 
Yeah. Um, well, a mastermind, so anyway, right? Yeah. A mastermind totally. of production, right? Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. and and again, I think there's also, uh, I love the unapologeticness that I think as a musician has to be empowering to say, I'm willing to go anywhere you need me to go. And, and, and it almost sounds at points here like, like Tony just is like, I'm just going to bring out you. I'm going to bring out all the best ooey gooey goodness that is T Rex. And, yeah. and again, like, like I said, like there's no one who sounds like T Rex. Like when you're listening to, you might hear parts of Bowie and go, okay, or Slade or whatever. Um, but there's no one who kind of, and, and it's, it's weird to me that no one has come back around to kind of, like you, so I think of someone like the Strokes, and when you're listening to the Strokes, and you're like, okay, I can hear exactly who you're kind of pinching from, and I don't know, no one's ever kind of come out and said, oh yeah, we're pinching hard from T Rex here, and it hasn't become this sort of sound. He's still what almost wow, fifty years later, is just in this island of his own, which is such yeah. a strange thing because I think you could rip off. And, and do some really cool stuff with him now that people would go, hey, that's really neat. Mm -hmm. uh, so I just like wonder, do you think he's like, maybe I'm getting to the point here. Of, do you think he's maybe disrespected a little bit as a as an artist? I mean, I think he's niche for sure. Mm -hmm. I think too, like maybe it's the time that he died or, mm -hmm. you know, he, he's like a Bowie character and ran, ran in the mm -hmm. same circles. Yep. And yeah, maybe if he had lived longer, it would have been different. Also, like, I'm thinking about this because we were talking about similarities between, uh, m you know, me and T-Rex, if there are right. any. Yeah. And I know that this healing power record that I've just made is like, now, now that it's out, I'm realizing that many people know that I'm happy and that I've written <laughs> it from a happy place. Um, but I want, I wonder about that with him on this record because a lot of it's like you know the the end of the record is main man as mm -hmm. a child i laughed a lot now it seems i cry a lot mm -hmm. oh Tom Crew, you know and and he writes about that uh you know he said i was dancing when i was eight that's on electric warrior yeah right yeah and i don't know yeah he writes about his childhood but i, I don't know if he was particularly a happy guy mm -hmm. i wonder about that I think yeah, much, I think a lot of artists, especially in that time period, were looking for that happiness, right? They were like, they thought, well, if I just become famous, I'll be happy. Oh, mm -hmm. well, now yeah. I'm famous and I'm really not happy, so I'll keep searching somehow, whether it be yeah. different forms of music or drugs or whatever, right? Yeah. And yeah. yeah, he was he's this character, and when he, when they finally inducted him in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, I was kind of like, yeah, of course, and no, and rightly so. But there was people that are like, why? Mm -hmm. And when you realize, like, it did not shock me that so many people were influenced by him. Mm -hmm. Like Bo Bowie, of course, being one of the biggest. But mm -hmm. there are so many people that just cite that as a as an influence. And I always love it when it's, again, like yourself, like, ah, didn't know she was really a Bowie fan unless I'd seen the shirt, right? And, or um, T-Rex fan, T -Rex. sorry. And, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, like... To me, it made total sense. And as he's kind of come and gone, like that, you hear a bit, a bit more, and then he kind of disappears. It all depends on the tastes of the day in classic rock, right? And 
did it surprise you when so many people came out and said, no, we are all on board with T-Rex? Or does it even matter? Well, I mean, yeah. It, number one, it doesn't matter to me because yeah. I love him no matter what. Yeah. Right. Remember I cited uh, Chet Baker as an influencer? That's right. I'm a rock musician. It's funny you said that, though. You are not the first rock musician I've heard say that, too. Right. Okay, okay. So well, then, great. yeah, maybe it's a popular choice. Yeah, <laughs> um, like... I was thinking about this. Now he's so famous that you can't even go visit his gravesite in right. England. Right. Yeah. Right. Because people keep stealing. I mean, maybe this is common with all like celebrities or musicians or I don't know. I because I actually tried to go there in London or wherever he's buried. I was over in England and I looked it up. I was like, okay, I want to know where his gravesite is because I'd love to go. And it was like, it's at this cemetery, but like off there's limits. no marker people steal it all the time mm-hmm. and like you'll never be able to go i don't know i don't i don't know why I, but anyway it's well, it's interesting to not be able to pay your respects to somebody yeah and it, because and they're so respected right yeah and and again i think it's a weird british thing too right like i mean he was a superstar britain i mean yeah. he had his own television show like when he died he mm-hmm. was i think the the highest rated television show in britain like he was really popular and there's that that weird story that like like ten years after his death they auctioned off his bloodstained clothes um Horrible. from the car yeah and it's like wow like I remember thinking at the time he rexes like like because I again I didn't think of him as you know the Robert Plant the the Roger Daltrys like he was T Rex so but then you realize right. man he must have been just massive to for people to to do that for and again like you said he's the gravestone being stolen there is you know but like that's legendary status in a strange in a strange way so it is like he's found these these people who respect him and uh who can look back on his his career and say wow what an influential person but i think of something like rock radio where i mean he's all but ignored you know, mm. I think of like how I mean, once in a blue moon, I might hear bang it, bang it gone on a classic rock radio station and go, holy smokes. But I mean, I, I would say maybe like once every 10 years or something like yeah. that. Um, so there is this like thing of like him criminally being kind of ignored in, in centers, too. Right. When mm-hmm. when you played the horseshoe show where people did you get a sense that people were there? Because they were T Rex fans, <laughs> they were so not there because they were T Rex uh... fans. <laughs> I think, I, like, I was the T Rex fan. I was like, I'm putting this onto all of you who are fans of us. Um, You're and, welcome. Uh, yeah, it was like it was it was for me, really. I mean, I don't know even know if the band are particularly like, you know, nobody was super super into it, <laughs> but I always have been, so it just made sense. Um, but I think, yeah, for that show, actually, it was kind of cool because we didn't have any strings or anything. Um, but I I hired two drummers. So that was kind of our, our thing. And it ended up being so fun, like Buick McCain with two drums. Oh, yeah. Like two sets of drums. It was like wicked. Yeah. Um, Danny Nash and Ian Romano played. Oh, nice. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, our, that, those folks that came to the horseshoe were definitely not T Rex fans. <laughs> how does it play? How did it feel playing the guitar in Buick McCain? Because the, the guitar in that song is 
killer. Like it's it's such a great lead line, and yeah, uh, and that must be fun to play because I think he's just. I also think he's a very underrated guitar player. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Agreed. I think yeah that that was fun, and we definitely have um, we've ripped that in the middle. There's a a song of ours called "Hold You," and in the middle we always will insert something sometimes it's freddie king most times it's freddie king but uh we've done buick mccain before in that spot just the riff and uh it's you know queen of the rock will you be my girl it's mm-hmm. one of my favorite lines ever yeah um but yeah i love that riff my favorite one i did not know it was going to be uh i think it was Telegram sam hey. it was kind of unexpected yeah, I re- that's that's ended up being my favorite track to play at least, um, on this record. And uh, that's and like speak more to those riffs too. Like he just he was riff just great riffy grooves, mm-hmm. yeah. and it it just like it's just they came so natural to him. It fi- I feel like it, yeah. there was like there's a sexiness to it as well. Yeah, in the in the way he played the guitar as well as you know he's, he. Like I say, he he is underrated, but he was never really a, sh- a showy guitar player. He wasn't busy. He wasn't Hendrix, right? Yeah. But those riffs and the grooves he created, like it's just it, it, they seem so natural. And uh, I guess I think that's probably what scared some people too. They're just so damn sexy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he is sexy. Was, yeah, he is sexy thinking, for sure. I was thinking about that too. Like, you know in in that time like david bowie was kind of like this very sexy glam character Mm -hmm. could sometimes be construed as androgynous like and mark boland same occupying a beautiful space between masculine and feminine and like there was I, i i've never i've never read anything that people were like not down with him because of it it was it was rock and roll that's what i love to hear about that time that sometimes it was accepted you know and yeah. and mark was accepted for who he was and i love to hear that yeah because th- those aren't always the stories that we hear mm-hmm. even now um people are you know experiencing different things based on what they how they dress right you know yeah, yeah. <laughs> and i think his music kind of dictates that too right it it it, it skates that line between rock and that sort of mass proto rock, masculine rock of the seventies, and mm. and a and a sexuality that that you know, I think Robert Plant has always been put up on the pedestals having that too. But that idea totally. of you know of centralizing rock, which not let's be honest, not every rock guy in the seventies, you know, Could no one do. was listening. Yeah, no one was looking at Uriah Heap going, Ooh, <laughs> right? Like, I mean, yeah, yeah. Like, it's not a rush record. <laughs> That's right. It's not a rush record. <laughs> oh right. my gosh. Yeah. So, yeah. There's a stark difference there. John loves rush. So that is my rub. When I think about that. I'm like, what's the least sexy record I could think of. It's rush. Any record. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. That is just so odd that, like, you know, a guy in Big Star is like, yeah, I also love Rush. Like that. Just oh, the... he loves Rush. <laughs> he loves Dave. Yeah. Dave over there is a huge Rush fan there yes. too. So, oh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, 
them. But I can take the slings and arrows. <laughs> yeah, well. <laughs> it's not slings and arrows. I'm just saying it's not particularly sexy. It's like I'm thinking. I'm thinking yeah. right now I when I'm know. listening to Rush. And no one's know. putting Rush on. No one's putting subdivisions on in the bedroom. Let's be perfectly honest. <laughs> Sorry. Well, some, Dave, people, some are people are. Are you feeling sexy when you listen to Rush? Is that what you're saying? Depends on the mood. Depends on the day. <laughs> At which album? I don't know. I've heard. I've heard uh, a, a couple of women, and I'm serious. A couple of women have said when Getty Lee puts on that uh, on that bass, Komodo? holy Komodo. crap! <laughs> I, I like that you said a couple. There's a couple of women. Well, <laughs> just a yeah. couple. They don't. They can't both show up to the show. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, for you love like when you're listening to your music you you love a good riff <laughs> like you have some amazing riffs in your songs and your your guitar um you know i was having this conversation a while ago with with someone we were just talking about like iconic canadian guitars like oh this musician playing this ian blurton's sg uh and then i said a oh, tara lightfoot's sg i i mean you've sort of become synonymous with this big rock sound at points but also the ability to kind of tone it down um how much of that comes from this love of t-rex and and his wicked guitar playing and those and those riffs yeah sure lots of it i mean uh like telegram sam the chorus is really driving just power chords and i and i love that and i've i've played like that a lot but i think i mean another thing that i don't know if I don't know if it's a particularly T-Rex thing. I often will follow the vocal melody um, like with the guitar also, yeah, like single yeah, notes yeah. and sing the same thing. And uh, yeah, I don't think that's particularly him. He's usually cording behind himself and the strings are doing all the fun stuff. Yeah. Uh, but certainly like, yeah, everything that, like when I when I played this, I would lift a lot of the string parts too and, and add it to those uh, guitar parts. And I think like that is really exciting to me that kind of playing like almost uh you know holding down the bass line while also playing a bit of a melody at the same time and yeah that excites me to no end sorry i'm getting nerdy no that's cool <laughs> I, I love hearing that no nerds are good where nerds are good. do you hear i sometimes will will hear i'm like oh wow that sounds like this artist or that sounds and in the 70s especially the late 70s you're hearing that bowling Bowling influence, whether it's Bowie or, or whatever, uh, just that rift. Is there anyone else you're like, oh, I bet they're a T Rex fan? The only person I would say that I know for sure um, is Father John Misty. Oh, oh yeah, interesting. Because yeah, right after we did that show, we were driving. We were in like, fuck, I think Saskatoon. Can you say fuck? Yes. No. Yeah, yeah, you can say fuck. Okay. <laughs> That, that's CKCU. We'll edit it for CKCU. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. That's right. Um, but yeah, we were driving up to a festival, and the we were getting it like in a in a van with the whatever festival volunteer driver. Volunteer driver. That is the word I'm looking for. Those are the two words. Moving on. Um, <laughs> and on the radio, and uh, Father John Misty came on with uh, his cover of Main Man. What? And he oh, did it. Yeah. yeah. And he did it in a really kind of drony sort of uh, Father John Misty way. Yes. But I loved it. And actually, my cover of that song ended up being totally different. Um, like jumping the octave and getting like super 
super dramatic at the end. Um, but it's that droning thing, you know, are you my main man? Are you just the one and the two chord. And uh, it, it's amazing what he, what he does with just two chords. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. It really hits you. And it's very simple. And I think that is one of the secrets of T-Rex too. He's not doing anything impressive. Mm-hmm. And yet it is. Yeah. You know? Well, he's doing, so it, an, doing what I am. People yeah. get amped on this. Oh, they, yeah. do. they do. They do. All the, yeah. That's what we love and to the, hear. And I think adding to the Tony, to having Tony Visconti also just being able to like, it's so, I, th- I think probably for producers, when it's simple, they could just say, okay, I can have some fun with this too. So you get the sense that Tony Visconti comes in and kind of says, okay, let's put the strings here. Let's put those backing vocals here. And he's able to just like T-Rex have fun. And I would say that the Tony Visconti uh, string lines are not anything spectacular either, but they fit perfectly with, so with what's happening in the They're song. They're so right? full though. Like they, they just mm-hmm. fill that space with that, yeah. between the guitar, the bass, the drums. That's where the strings lie. And they just seem... They're just so in your, it's almost like they're a, like a Mellotron or something like a, they're almost synthetic, They, but they're yeah. just so big. Yeah. I mean, I, I wonder, I've never heard any of these tracks isolated right before. Yeah. Uh, I wonder if that's a thing. I'm yeah. sure I'm... somewhere on the dark web you can search out <laughs> isolated stolen tracks from T-Rex. <laughs> well, I mean, if T-Rex was bigger, you know there'd be a T-Rex naked album where they like took all the strings out and like did something like yeah. that too, right? That's where... what I love. Like I loved hearing uh the Beach Boys that way. That's another yeah. that is probably my number one influence for all time because I got that I got a Beach Boys tape when I was eight maybe seven years old from a garage sale i was like oh that looks cool because it had a person on a surfboard and then i listened to the tape for like eight years and that was my thing beach boys surfs up cool. and that like informed so much of like who i am as an artist as well so i was just strange. i was i was ready to hang up if you said the album was kokomo i was gonna go <laughs> Can you imagine? Right, gosh <laughs> i don't know what we're gonna talk about time i don't know yeah, <laughs> no kokomo is canceled it's been canceled for a long time so does that mean but, we can book you back for a beach boy surfs up episode surf's, surf's uh, well i wouldn't pick surfs up oh okay i would not pick surf's oh, okay up. but it's still it's still great like that it was more about the harmony right yes mm-hmm. oh yeah um and the silliness of like the guitars and stuff yeah. like that, um, yeah, and the, and just the sound too, right? Like this, I I don't, I don't know about you guys, but I have an easier time latching on to sounds from records in the seventies, the sixties. Uh, yeah, like, I it, hate to it say just it, but sounds yeah. good to me and warm. Right. It sounds warm. So like, also, I love old country stuff. I love. Like, you know, things from the 50s even. Like, I just, I love the old warm microphones, it's, the ribbons, mm-hmm. the tubes, all that stuff. I think we, um, Tom and I have talked about this. I think just in the 80s, just the technology, it just progressed so much. And everybody was was thinking, oh, we just got to keep using the technology, using, using. And they just lost that sound mm-hmm. and everything sounded synthetic. And mm-hmm. that's why you end up with these overproduced albums in the 80s that were, you know, hair metal and just and you hear them now like my, one of my pet uh one of my fun things to do is just to turn on like the retro loud tv channel 
and they play the mm-hmm. old videos from the eighties. They look terrible, obviously, but they sound god awful as well. <laughs> like there is so few tracks that from the eighties there you're like, wow, that sounds like it could be made today. When you hear that, you're like, nope, that was made in 1986. Or you can almost hundred for right? sure. Hundred. The year of my birth. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> well, and I mean, I think you're seeing that with other artists, right? I think of like Crazy Ford, who has spent like her last three records going down to Memphis and making a yeah. sound a record that just sounds like it's recorded in 1967, right? There's a. I th- I don't think you're alone in in trying to to pair parse out those sounds right and i think probably for fans of terra lightfoot that's what people gravitate to i mean you you have a sound that um it's interesting like my daughter's a terra lightfoot fan we've seen you several times but you know i'm a terra lightfoot fan and people who i know who are older than me are terra lightfoot fans so i think there's this weird connection where your you have a your sound has an ability to kind of connect the different generations who who see it as like universal might be too much of a term, but like ageless, you know, because you're, mm. you're pulling in a lot of that, that classic production value. Right. So. And nothing from 1986, really. Yeah. Quite honest, <laughs> other than me. No Motley crew was going to make your list here or anything like that. <laughs> you know so I actually made, I talked to Frazee before I made consider the speed because mm. I went down to Memphis and recorded at Royal Studios, which is the same place she made. Um, I forget which record it was. Maybe Indian uh, Ocean? Indian Ocean, yeah. Indian I Ocean. I think it was. Actually, I think she made the um, one after Indian Ocean, too, there. But anyhow. Yeah, I think she did. And I, so I went down there and I played uh, with those cats, too. The, mm. um, you know, Steve Potts played drums. Uh yeah, it was it was crazy, and hanging out with Boo Mitchell is an experience I in itself. Say, yeah, <laughs> and singing into the number nine microphone. But it's it's funny the things that you think will happen if you use that old gear. Mm-hmm. It's funny the way that you think, oh well, it's going to go through that filter and it's going to sound old. And it, yeah, I don't as much as I'd like to think that I do. I don't write songs like that. Mm-hmm. You know, and so as much as I could try to sound like I, I'm from. 1971 or 1972 like the slider um it it didn't actually work like that i thought it was really interesting you know like or i went to record at a sun studios after hours once with my friends and um what came out of that session was a beginning demo of my song stars over dakota but it didn't sound like you know 1946 or whatever it was just like yeah it's the song, the ghost, yeah, like the ghost of Jerry you know? Lee Lewis. The ghost of Jerry Lewis. Yeah. Jerry Lee Lewis. No, he in was the room. not there. Yeah, no, I I saged before it. No, I'm just. Uh, um. Well, you should have talked to you too before that because they're like, dude, we went down there and tried to record. A, uh, we recorded out rattle and hum. It That's didn't right. sound like yeah. it didn't sound like Elvis either. or anything. Yeah, <laughs> so. I know. I was thinking about that too because um, my buddy, fellow Hamiltonian Daniel Lenoir. He was making cool records in the 80s and 90s. Yeah. And I just looked up another fave record, which is uh, Time Out of Mind by Bob Dylan, which Dan recorded mm. and produced. But that was in 1997. But that record sounds good. Mm-hmm. Yep. But that's an, that's 1997, so it's a little later than what we're talking about. But um, Also Daniel Lamois, who can make 
you know, gold seemingly appear from anywhere, right? Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. You know, he really is just a magnificent, you know, producer, right? It's, it's, it's. Well, yeah. And now that you say that, I'm like, oh yeah, he was, he was producing albums in the eighties that sound fantastic still. Yeah. So, right. so Raffi, Raffi. One. But he wasn't doing. Oh yeah. But he wasn't doing metal. So. <laughs> True. No. So no, you because... said there that metal, uh, that uh, metal. Telegram Sam was your favorite one to play live. Uh-huh. Uh When you played it, what's your favorite song to listen to on the on the record? Ooh. I know it's everyone's you know, honestly, hard. I have, hard I have to look. Yeah, it's the hard question, and I find with this record for me, uh, I think I mine switches every time I I listen to it. So. Um, mm. But, yeah, yeah, me too. Like a surprising one for me, of course, Metal Guru. Metal mm-hmm. Guru. Um, what a great leadoff track, eh? Dave right? and I were just saying that. Like, yeah, what a I thought that was fantastic. Track. Yeah, it's iconic. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Oh, yeah. Um, but for me, lately, it's been Chariot Chugal. Wow, <laughs> which sounds nuts. But like, I also love Rock On. Oh, that's a great uh, song. Yeah. But on, honestly, you know, I was I was listening to it in the kitchen uh, before we met tonight, just to kind of get in the in the in the vibe. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. And I didn't start dancing around until I heard Buick McCain. Right. And that's nice. always been my favorite. Historically, mm. that would be my number one. And so maybe I should say I think, Buick McCain. I think that's fair. Buick McCain. <laughs> what I uh, wish. But isn't it? It's not the slider, but that is the track. That was the track that everybody picked. You know. Oh yeah. That, you know, I think that was like the main, the main track from the record, obviously. But, um, I mean, even when we played it at the Horseshoe, I remember seeing faces go, "Oh yeah, they I know like this one. <laughs> I know this one. Yeah. yeah, yeah." I mean, on my new record, um, Gus has a bunch of old Harmony Rocket guitars. Nice. So I played those, and I mean, some of the tracks on the record don't have a lot of guitar. Honestly, it was. Um, a choice of you know sometimes we'd use like a keyboard and play that instead and i was cool with that like cross-border lovers do- doesn't really have a lot of guitar in it but that's like the single um but yeah so i used a harmony rocket for some of it and but most of the time my my guitar would win because <laughs> there because i felt happier playing it and that literally comes across i think you can hear happiness through the pickups of a guitar you heard it here first Science. Well, and your and your record is called Healing Power, so it would certainly make sense that you were make doing playing something that was making you happy, <laughs> right? That would yeah. that would make complete sense. Yeah. Um, totally. Speaking of making people happy, this has been a great conversation, and thanks for joining us to talk yeah, about yeah. this awesome album. Uh, it was a really fun one when when you picked when you said I'm thinking about this. I was like, oh, I hope she picks this one because <laughs> I, I I was really happy to hear that you picked it because it is such a uh, such a fun record uh yeah to listen to and 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 to kind of revisit so thanks for thanks for letting us do that yeah yeah thank there you guys go. no thank you thank Look you very much show and thanks again tara okay bye
Hey, Dave. So uh, I will just say there has been a handful of times in this show where we've gotten uh, an album and I've went, ooh, and mm-hmm. gotten quite excited, right? Yes. Like, And there's times when we get albums and I'm like, I, I don't know. Let's give this a listen. Don't know much about this. This is cool. Uh, this is one that got me giddy. This is, this giddy is uh, if you're track. a music fan, come on. These are two or three of T-Rex's albums. This is one that's definitely going to... You're going to have a handful of songs on here you like and just yeah. dig. And yeah, it's it's just that. It's a music lover's favorite or one of their favorite albums, right? Like it's, it's touched yep. so many people. And yeah, I think... Uh, I'm trying to think. What am I trying to say here? It's... Yeah, it's just something that every music fan should have in their catalog. In yeah, their record it's, collection. I would say this and Electric Warrior to me are two of those albums that, um, like, and I hate throwing around this word, but but they're iconic. Yep. Like to me, you're you're looking at at, at the slider, and I th- I think probably for most people, Electric Warrior is the album that gets people into T Rex. They they're there for the cover. Sure. They're there. They they listen to it. <laughs> And then they're like, yeah, yeah, okay, this is a cool record. But for me, from start to end, I actually think the slider is a better record. Um, 
I I think from a, a consistently consistency standpoint, there's there's not a bad song on the record. Um, I think he is having a lot of fun on the record, which I don't think I think he was probably having fun on Electric Warrior too. But uh, for me, the slider is just a more um, there's just more there for for me to to grab onto and and listening to it this time again i'm just like god this is just such a fun fun record Mm. and i think for me that's the thing about t-rex i love and it's the thing about a lot of 70s bands i like love yeah right like you and i have kind of gotten into this before and i think it's probably where my where my take with a lot of 70s bands i have issues with I i like when bands can have fun and i really think that you know, when I listen to Thin Lizzy or when I listen to T-Rex or I listen to Rod Stewart uh, or The Faces um, in the 70s, they're just having fun. They're well, having a blast, right? And to me, that that's what makes the, the experience fun as a listener is to hear that. in. And I think in that era, there was a lot of musicians taking themselves very seriously. And I think there was a lot of musicians saying, God, surely my luck can't keep going so i'm just gonna keep having fun with this and and uh, and embrace as we sort of said in the interview with tara embrace kind of the cheesiness <laughs> of who they are too and like maybe like, yeah, yeah yeah i, I, I don't and know i like i like that yeah i to, to me it's just a swagger there's that yeah that 70s sure. that 70s swagger that so many like so many great bands have and it's mm-hmm. in the it's in the mute when you hear the music you're just like you you listen to the slider and you're i can just see mark boland walking down the street oh with yeah a, with a strut like he's the shit right yeah. <laughs> do, do you remember the do you remember the movie um uh in the name of the father uh, yeah with uh, there's a great scene where um daniel day lewis's character comes back to ireland after he's uh, robbed a, a prostitute and he essentially goes and buys a pile of clothes and he's walking down the street to dedicated follower of fashion by the kinks and mm. it's a great part in the movie but i remember always like like this should be like what you're just referring to that's t-rex like he's dressed with this like flamboyant fur coat on like i mean it, there is that bravado and that that fun and thing to him and that that scene to me always just like epitomizes the type of guy (laughs) who must have been like sinatra in london in 73 like walking into places and just oh my god mark boland is here right and i'm and i'm sure mickey finn too the drummer but let's be honest like mark boland was there right but like yeah it's like he created the scene right yeah and he was the scene and yeah there's just it's just everything and not just the the him himself but the bass the guitar the drums they all mm-hmm. had this very sexy swagger to it yeah. and it just all comes together in a very tight groove um yeah that that's i think that's just what gets it for me is just man there's just that swagger that just disappeared after yeah and every now right. and every now and then we'll we'll be seeing a band like if we go to uh a festival or something there's always one or two bands just pulling out that swagger that you're mm-hmm. not really making memorable music but for that 30 minutes on stage you're like you're kind of enamored then you listen yeah. to their cd and it's like 
yeah, it's not. I really yeah. like them better live. <laughs> but well, but we've done. Example, I've seen it. We've seen it. Right? Yeah. Well, remember that one that we we went to see a band once in Toronto called the Dirty Look. Oh yeah. Remember? That's, and they had that swag. And that's what I was thinking. That's what I was yeah. just thinking. That one. Yeah. And, and that uh, was such a fun night of music. But then when you listen to the record, you're like, you're like oh. eh, didn't translate. Didn't yeah. translate all that well, right? They came the, on stage. They felt more T Rex, but on. On their album, they were trying to be late late 70s stones. Yeah. <laughs> it just it didn't was, work out. And it was, I, and I think you're right. I think there's, um, it, it just shows you, to, it goes to show how difficult it is to, uh, to have the swagger and at the same time have the music, right? Like, so mm. to have them both, right? And again, I think you have to be okay with... Um, with allowing yourself to just put yourself out there and, and who cares? There's like a freedom that comes with that, you yeah. know? Yeah. And, um, and, and again, like I think of bands who I can think of who had a bit of that swagger, but took themselves too seriously. Like, you know, I think of someone like, you know, I kind of think the strokes were a bit like that, where it was like, God, if you guys had just had some fun with it, you know, uh, I think I think you might have been more endearing to some to some people, right? And I think the White Could Stripes be. kind of kind of had some success with that, but I mean that swagger is is part of rock and roll. And yeah. T Rex, that's why I mean T Rex is a poster boy of that, right? Keith yep. Richards is a poster boy of that, and I think you're quite right. It's been it, it's been a long time since we've seen someone yeah. who's epitomized that. I will say Jack White comes pretty damn close. Just mm-hmm. when I when you see him on stage, I do right. feel there is this freedom and that loose. He he's deceptively amazing at the guitar. The way he plays guitar, it sounds so, it can sound so sloppy and yeah. just like off. It's off putting at times. Yeah, but then you listen to it enough, you're like, no, no, the guy's a genius. Because that's just that style. It's like listening mm-hmm. to Hendrix too, right? It's just yeah. you're like, what is this? And then you're like, oh, it's the genius and the showmanship. Oh yeah, and like, and that was the thing that that T Rex brought to the game, right? Was mm-hmm. this this element of showmanship? And you know, you can see that in the fact that I mean, he gets a television show yeah. after this, yeah. right? Like, I mean, <laughs> he becomes essentially Tom tom jones for the glam generation right i mean which which i'm okay with you gotta love the bbc you gotta love like say what you will about the bbc they were willing to like hire mark boland to go on tv i guess we gotta get something for the kids so (laughs) that's it right (laughs) they hired mark boland (laughs) but again another way of just getting i think that's so added to the legend too right Mm-hmm. Uh, just now you had a visual yeah. where even Bowie at that time, you, you couldn't, you had to go see him mm-hmm. to, to, to get what was going on. But for six episodes, you could tune in and like, Oh, this is Mark Boland. Yeah. And, and I wonder, I can't help but wonder if his, the role of his death and what it plays sure. to um, the time it happens. Right. Yeah. Like, you know, uh, we've talked about this for years and I, I've heard podcasters and, and documentary filmmakers and writers talk about the reason we put Jimi Hendrix on the pedestal is because Jimi Hendrix died, you know, at such a young age, hadn't recorded anything that was like, you know, he hadn't jumped the shark yet. Right. right? So right. 
And with Mark Boland, you had a guy who was the epitome of the 70s. But when you look at the music that's going to come just a couple of years later, I mean, when we go back to our David Bowie episodes we've done, David Bowie's influence on the 80s was massive. And I can't help but think um, T-Rex would have had uh, a resurgence in the 80s because his music... um, you know, was loved by the people who were were making it there um, in the 80s. But he also, I think his sound would have easily transferred over to the 80s. And I can't help but think he would have he would have had some success in the 80s. If it, even if it was like Slade's Run Run Away or something like that, he would have had something that, that would have sparked some interest in people in the 80s again. And I can't help but think he would have had some sort of resurgence. That would be yeah. It would be interesting because, you know, like I said, would would Led Zeppelin have been like the legend they are now if mm. they had if they had kept making albums? Because right, you know, we talk about how Deep Purple were just as big and just as influential, but they kept making albums, right? Right, and kind of just oh yeah, and they couldn't get along, and they just band members came and went and the sounds changed and they just it was just like oh it's deep purple well they'll yeah, do smoke perfect. on the water yeah <laughs> you know so it if he had kept making albums like i mean he there was a his last album was in 77 the year he died mm-hmm. and not well, a lot of people not a lot of people talk about dandy in the underworld here i think a lot of people would have he would have been he would have 100% been on with disco. Oh, like you even yes. like, like he would have been a guy who would have said, no, I'm completely in on this. Let's, let's cheese it up here and let's yeah. go full disco. And you know, where the Rolling Stones, you know, embraced it, kiss embraced it. I 100% believe that T-Rex and Mark Bolin would have been all over. He would have found uh, all over some that. way of incorporating that. Mm-hmm. style that like i mean you listen to the slider there's some funk in there oh 100 percent, it, it's funky and yeah. so he would have had no problem flipping again, over to disco listen, yeah you listen i love to boogie and you hear that that backbeat on the bass like 100 percent, he would have been all over that and he would have had no um he wouldn't have been contentious about it at all it would have been absolutely let's do this uh, 100% I'm okay with this. And I think that would have been what would have made him he would have been all in. Well, that would have been and it was that, the that would have been cool. Yeah, and the culture of disco too, right? Like partying all night and mm-hmm. like just being who you are and yeah, you, you know, it's yeah, I could he would have embraced that wholeheartedly. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I so. And I think by the mid eighties he would have embraced the glam rock thing and he would have embraced like I just think he was a musician who would have one hundred percent had a huge influence. Maybe even a bigger influence than he had um in the next couple of years. And again, I think part of that is because he was able to say, This is who I am and I don't really care. Yeah. You know, and I and again I think that's why you look at people like Bowie or or Tina Turner and uh, they were able to do that, right? Yeah. And they were able to Rod Stewart, and they were able to have success because of those things. Yeah, and yeah, if he had lived, I think he there would have been a resurgence. There was a resurgence, right? Like mm-hmm. uh, yep. you know, Power Station covered uh, Bang a Gone, Chalk Circle, 
first, I didn't know that 20th Century Boy wasn't a chalk circle song. Right. <laughs> the first time I heard it was their version of it. And, placebo? Oh, placebo, fantastic version of mm-hmm. that. But by then I knew. But uh, right. uh, so, yeah, there was interest in their music. And if, yeah, if he was still, I bet they would have hit the road. And mm-hmm. let's tour. It'd be like what Gary, the resurgence of Gary Newman in the late 90s when right. all the, you know, kind of the industrial bands started citing him as an influence and he hit the road and you're like, now it's Gary Newman and he's recording again. And, you know, same well, and thing. the same thing would have happened with Britpop, right? Britpop, like Johnny Marr uh, has listed uh, T Rex and the Slider as one of his favorite albums. Like, um, like Blur referenced them, Oasis did. Like, I, I think the mid '90s Brit scene would have completely embraced oh, yeah. him as well, right? Yep. So it's just uh, it's it's sad in many ways to think what what could have been because he was such an entertaining and cool artist. But as we also talked about, an artist who just was so original, and, and at the same time wore his his love for music on his sleeve, mm-hmm. but was just so original at the same time, which is such a cool. Um, balance that I, that I think is so difficult for musicians to do. Yeah, and just you you hear older or watch old interviews with him. He just had his finger on the pulse of the culture. Like mm-hmm. He knew like what younger people were looking for and the, the difference and uh, you know, the things were changing and swing in London, right? Like that That's was right. that was it. So he was he was all on top of what, it. What um, did you have a favorite song on the record? Oh yeah, uh, I will say like my two favorite T Rex songs uh, are "20th Century Boy" and "Children of the Revolution." Is mm-hmm. like there's there's where you're like okay I can see why I can see Def Leppard loving that right you know and and. 20th Century Boy, a very fast song compared to some of T Rex's other tunes. Right? They don't yeah, really, they don't sure. really go up tempo a lot. A lot of it's mid tempo, uh, but 20th Century Boy just has that that great riff at the start, and then the drums kick in, and it's just yeah, hang on. So those are my two favorite non slider T Rex tracks, like all time favorite. Just love those. Mm-hmm. Um, if Mainly, one of the first reason, real reasons I love uh, Children of the Revolution that was used in the show Legion. Uh, right, just, just okay. an awesome scene too. Same yeah. idea, like like your scene, where it's. I think that's in so many movies yeah. and shows now. But uh, that one is is one you constantly see pop up now. Yeah, it's just it's just such a great great intro, right? Oh, the big chorus, the big yeah. chorus, yeah, yeah. yeah. So and and you know we we did talk I guess about the chorus with Tara, uh, like just the production he had, is, oh, was Tony Visconti's a yeah, god, uh, like head of his time, right? So yeah, um, but yeah, as far as the slider goes, I'm gonna say uh, Telegram Sam. That's just one of those songs that, for some reason, will just pop into my head sometimes. Telegram Sam, you're my main man. And yeah, it's, it's, yeah. yeah, it's just infectious and it's, it's, it's an earworm and it's, it's the one I will just remember all of us, all of a sudden slider, sexual glider, metal guru, I think is a fantastic album opener. So, but yes, uh, agreed, agreed. Yeah. And, and I was going to say that, like when I listen to this album, I listen to it a lot on vinyl, uh, 
and there there was an art in not only just the lead off track oh yes but the lead off track on both sides yes yeah, right? yeah so you've got you can tell metal guru and then you flip and you get telegram sam uh so it gives this like booming awesome lead off to both sides of the album which makes it phenomenal right yeah uh there's an art to that 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 has been lost in the you know in the world of you know well it's 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 lost now because it really you can kind of make a flow i guess yeah uh but it's it was lost in the late 80s early 90s when the cd came and now all of a sudden you had one side so how do you yeah how do you so do how this? do you get that how do you get that impact of flipping the record and then yeah. hearing Telegram Sam right? yeah exactly so but yeah I will say I mean so many ballroom ballrooms of Mars is a great tune great but tune. Uh, yeah Telegram Sam's the one that I just keep coming back to.
Yeah, so for me, um, as I said, I have a I have a really soft spot in my heart for um, Baby Boomerang mm-hmm. because it was the one of the first <clears throat> 45s I ever owned. Uh, so there's a special place there for me. But um, and I shouldn't say that it was actually I love to boogie with Baby Boomerang as the B side. I don't know why they went for a B side from three years prior, but um, but the song that as I've gotten older. And really appreciate Buick McCain now. I just think Buick McCain is sensational. Mm. The guitar playing in it is startlingly good. Uh, There is so much ego and swagger (laughs) in the song that is just so much fun. Uh, I just, yeah, for me, uh, it's a song that I don't think people are people would dare make now uh and i think and what i mean by that is it's audacious and i think for me that's that's what i really like is the audaciousness of some of the some of the language and i mean the whole album is filled with stuff like that but i mean this is it's it's not a long song by any stretch of the imagination i mean i think there's maybe like 26 words in the whole song (laughs) including like you said slider slider you're just a sexual glider uh but it's you know it's so just corny uh but the guitar playing (laughs) and everything else about it is so awesome yeah so for me over the last couple of years future game has just been been my go-to thanks to wadi for letting us use his song in my heart as our theme song thanks to the wonderful tara lightfoot for joining us to talk about the slider by t-rex and most importantly thanks to you for listening to sound effect if you enjoyed today's show please share it on social media and let us know what you think of our show and remember there's always a great record out there just waiting to be discovered so keep listening